0: Kotchus on the air, your weekly radio show dealing with culture issues for the culture consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kotchfis magazine. And our host and our guest today is the Mashkiach of the Year for 2014, Rabbi Aaron Musat, who is speaking to us live from Chicago. Rabbi Musat, are you there? I'm here, Rabbi. Well, I'm glad, to, I'm glad to hear you're there. Uh, I really don't even know where you live. Do you live in, 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 uh, in Chicago itself, or do you live on the outskirts? Yeah,
1: No, I live in West Rogers Park in Chicago itself.
0: Ah, so West Rogers Park is the section? Okay. Correct. And I'm not familiar at all with Chicago. I've never been out there. And uh, how long have you been out in uh, Chicago? I've lived
1: here for about 12 and a half years.
0: And, uh, and all that time you went to, not all the time then where you were working for the, uh, oh, no, for two and a half years you were working for Chicago, been a all the time. What, and, and before that, where were you? Before Chicago? Yeah.
1: Uh, well, I was born and raised in Australia, and I came to the U.S. about 20 years ago when I was a Bachar in Yeshiva. Um, I spent some time in New Jersey, in Connecticut, in New York, and in New York. And then, about two years after I got married, um, my wife and I and daughter we moved here to chicago um, and we're here till today Very
0: nice. and uh, you, you worked for a short while with the with the o u is that correct
1: yeah um when I was in yeshiva in uh, new jersey i uh in contact with um kind of my mentor rabbi indich from the o u yeah. And uh, I started working with him um, every year Pesach, actually in Atlantic City, and I did about eight years with him there.
0: Eight years? Well, that was a long time. And and what did we? What you were talking about a a Pesach hotel? Is that what it is?
1: Yeah, Pesach hotel. And then I did some odd jobs for him here and there during that period of time. And then on top of that, I did. uh, I worked in Woodburn in the Catskills for three years. Uh, I did. I worked at a Chinese uh, restaurant there. And then um, I worked in Manhattan uh, for a couple of years in a restaurant there. So that was the, all. That was all under the OU. So it was uh-huh. a pretty significant amount of time—about eight years.
0: But yeah, you're in a very different kind of facility now. I mean, what, uh, we uh, we, we, you know, we heard all about from the from Chicago Rabbinical Council. We heard all about the work that you do in the situation in the situation where you're working now. Where is that? Very, what, what is the facility you're working in right now?
1: Uh, So I work in a senior living facility, uh, skilled nursing. Uh, We have about 230 residents here. Um, About 180 of them are long-term residents. And we have a rehab unit, uh, which which houses between 40 and 45 residents. Um, And then we also send out from here, from this facility, about 300 Meals on Wheels every day and approximately, you know, between 50 to 100 uh, frozen, like, three-compartment meals and soups to go to various hospitals and other senior living facilities in the Chicagoland area, which also have uh, kosher consumers that need kosher food.
0: Now, I have a question, Rabbi. I, I, I'm trying to figure out in my mind. A thousand meals, uh, so it it, it doesn't, in other words, some of them getting one meal a day and some of them getting three meals a day. But still in all, breakfast is at breakfast time, lunch is at lunch time, and supper is, is at supper time. Now, how is it possible to set up that you can serve all those people and have everything going out to the Meals on Wheels, going to the other facilities, in some kind of timely manner, just just tell me the logistics of how that works in your facility.
1: Okay, so our kitchen uh, opens up at five o'clock. I'm usually the f- I'm, I mean I am the first one here. Five o'clock in the morning. Five o'clock in the morning. Uh, so I light up all the fires and everything at five o'clock. Um, then I have somebody working on breakfast. Then I have a few staff members that come in about half an hour later. Uh, the, the the staff that works um, on the floors. Who after you know we have uh, five points of service here, uh, f- five different floors, uh, about 40 to 45 residents on each floor. So you know th- that staff gather all their stuff they need for breakfast service, all their cold items and plates and things like that. Uh, meanwhile, our back of the house uh, preparation starts. We have breakfast going, and then I have um, a couple of other team members along with a chef who come in between fi- around 5:30. And they start rolling with the Meals on Wheels pro- you know, program. You know, there's obviously there's two sides to the kitchen. On the Milk side, we're going, we're rolling with breakfast. And on the Flachix side, uh, that's where we're doing the Meals on Wheels uh, program, where that's coming out of.
0: So in other words, you're doing Flachix and Milkshire at the same time.
1: Yeah, but there's a, you know, a clear division. Um, and different, you know, the specific people who are working on breakfast, and they're completely separate from the people that are focusing on the Meals on Wheels program, which that gets produced, and um, the meals go out from, you know,
0: that, that own specific area. And how do you handle something like uh, milk and inflation? The, the, the difference? Uh, things go up to the room, things come back. I mean, mm-hmm. how do we make sure that the Milchics stays Milchics, the Flachics stays Milchix, the Flachix stays and they don't get mixed up on the way up or the way down or in the patient's room. I and mean, what what uh, basically happens with trays and things like that? How do you how do you get the the milk and settled down?
1: Okay, well, from the back of the house perspective. Um, Obviously, everything on the Hicks and the Fleschiks sides are very clearly marked. We don't have, you know, a power section here because, um, you know, having a third entity would be even more difficult. Um, so everything that's associated with Fleschiks either has um, lots of red tape around it or there are holes that we drill in all the corners of the pans to, you know, to identify what's Fleschiks. And then the Milchiks has, you know, blue blue tape um, around all those utensils and that. Our, Silverware uh completely different. One is just a flat plane uh design, the other one is, you know, fancy, nice design. Uh the plates, one is a very dark brown and you know, everything milkics is, you know, uniformed and looks one way and everything flacix uh it's a completely different design. So having the systems of you know, very clear distinction between what what is what, um, that enables things uh to go very smoothly. Uh, as far as the food going up to the rooms, we're very clear defined times of when we're eating hicks and when we're eating fleshics. Our breakfast and lunch is Milchix. And after lunch, we make sure that everything is cleared from all the floors, that everything's come back down from breakfast and lunch. And then we begin to set up for dinner uh, with all the, the fleshy things. Uh, we have a system on one of our floors we have a substantial amount of people in the rehab floor eating in their rooms and my dietary staff are the ones that actually go into the rooms, take the orders, serve the food to the residents and part of their responsibility is to make sure that all the utensils, um, plates, any food items from the previous meal is cleared. Uh, prior to the next service of men.
0: Well, that, that, that leads me to my next question. I mean, if you just tuned in, you're listening to uh, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kach's Magazine. That's me. And my guest today on Kach's on the air is Rabbi Aaron Musat, who uh, is the recipient of our award, for the uh, Mashkir of the Year Award. And we also gave him a little check for the company that, at the uh, Kosher Fest. Uh, that was the presentation just about a week ago. And uh, we we're having an interesting discussion. I'm here in the studio here in Brooklyn, and he's in uh, Chicago. And our, and our discussion is about Kachas, but more specifically what Rabbi Musad is doing. It will be, I think, by listening to the show, you might understand why we're very happy and proud that we chose him as our Mashgiach of the Year. Not to say that anybody else is, any, is not good, but we chose from the top. We can't possibly know who is the best in anything in the world, only the bonus show knows the answer to that question. And everyone has different criteria, but we have our criteria. We interview the people from the different conscious agencies who they presented, they nominated for the award, and then we select based upon our criterion what we consider to be this year the best of all, the Mashkiach of the Year, and Rabbi Musat is our Mashkiach of the Year. Uh, Rabbi Musad, I, I, I'm, I'm getting to understand a little bit what you're telling me, but I'm now I'm really interested in finding out how you get the staff to where the point of where you have that confidence that you're on the same team and that things are not going to get mixed up. A lot of the staff never heard of kosher when they were growing up. A lot of them are not Jewish and a lot of them, I don't think even English, may not always be their native language. But what? Uh, what, what I'm uh, interested in finding out is how you actually set, up, uh, set them up, train them in service training. I heard. It, how do you train them and how do you follow up on that? Uh, new people are coming and going, and sometimes the staff has to be placed for a temporary purpose, a temporary time, for temporary purposes. And then sometimes, uh, you know, there are, uh, uh, they switch from one job to another. How do you train them?
1: Okay, so uh, we're actually very blessed here that um, um, CJ Senior Life, which is um, the the client that we are serving here, they uh, they treat uh, their employees uh, tremendously well and so we benefit from that from a cautious perspective in that we have many long-term employees just from amongst my 35 dietary employees many of them have been here 10, 15, 20, even up to 30 years so we actually don't really have too much of a staff turnover but of course, you know, people uh, retire, people move on So when a new employee comes in, um, I first give them, I guess, kind of like a kosher initiation. Um, I speak to them about the laws, I give them a general overview, do a little quiz with them. But to me, the way that I have found to be the most effective way of training is I don't throw the new employees right into the fire. I have them shadow um, with our long-term employees um, with people, with the employees that I think have um, the best, you know, training strengths. So I'll have them two, three, four weeks in various positions, literally just shadowing that other person. And as they begin to feel a little more comfortable, the person who's been here a long time will step back and uh, watch what the new employee is doing, both from a customer's perspective and also just from a uh, uh from the perspective of being able to do you know their complete job um, I'll then follow up ask them if they have questions um, they'll come to me I try and really stay very even-keeled um, in my demeanor so that my staff can feel very comfortable to come to me to ask questions at any time and you know not everything always goes perfectly but you know there's a, sometimes a bump in the road here or there but uh usually they catch on you know relatively quickly and it's just, uh, I just really need to focus in on, you know, the little nuances um, that could be overlooked to make sure I stress those points um, so that they feel completely comfortable with what they're doing from a perspective.
0: I thank you for that. For that. And not, now it leads me to another question that this has been bothering me since, since we started talking, not today, when we first spoke on the phone. The, the, you're giving me an impression. And I want to understand that. I I, I think there's an answer to the question, but I first have to formulate it. The, the thing that's interesting to me is that you talk about these people as your staff. You talk about the staff, the 35 people working there as your staff. You talk about your people. You talk about sending them here, doing that. You know, I, I'm sort of wondering it does this the does the facility that you're working for and people who have placed you in your position, both from the, the from CRC, Chicago Business Council, and from the company that you work for that's affiliated and that staffs this uh, hospital. It, uh, it, it, are you given the uh, feeling that you are uh, the supervisor? Or are you, um, you know, like other people might have considered the hashkocha uh, a spy work? Like, I have to sit there and watch, make sure nothing goes wrong. Or is it, or do you actually feel that you are somehow the supervisor and these are your people? Just explain it to me. I'm sure it's right in there.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So, we have a director of dining services, she's in charge of, you know, She's the top person in um, management of the dietary staff, and she has a staff that consists of you know eight or nine different people, which is chefs, dietitians, assistant managers, myself. Um, but not only am I you know watching the pa I feel you know, and I learned this pretty early, uh, pretty early on here. That by taking on some additional responsibilities besides just watching the um... I also ske- I do the scheduling for the staff, and by doing the scheduling, that allows me to put the right people in the right places, people where I feel stronger and more efficient, um, both from a work perspective and also from a kashrus perspective. That helps out. You know, today um, a lot of a lot of employers of Mashkichim you know, expect more than just a, a rabbi, you know, watching what's going on and checking vegetables and things like We're that. We call
0: it a working maskiach.
1: Working much gear, it's very common. So what uh, I felt was, let me identify the places within the business that I can help the company that I'm working from, from an efficiency perspective, but that it will also help me uh maintain the highest levels of kosher standards here. So one of the other things I do here, you know, one of the biggest things that mashkirchem have to do is, you know, check in the orders. Um, so I took it upon myself to do all the purchasing. And when you're a mashkirch and you're in the kitchen so much and you're in and out of the coolers, it's not really a distraction. You're you're there, you're out there. So I, you know, uh have my power sheets, I know what we need for our menus and things like that. So I do the ordering as well, and that allows me um, to make sure that everything I'm ordering, you know, there's big managed order guides with these big companies, and it's hard sometimes to know what's kosher, what's not kosher. Even so much more so for somebody who doesn't keep kosher, for example, a chef who doesn't keep kosher, they might be guessing, can I order this, can I order that, i got to check with the rabbi, make phone calls. If you're somebody that's been like myself in a facility for a long time and knows what ingredients we need, where to get it from, that really helps you out um, from that perspective. So that's another one of the ways. From then, that's why I say my staff. I, I am also a manager. I do have a dual role, a you know working mashkiach, But I've really tried to you know hone in on the areas that will help me with my job from a kasher's perspective um, by taking on these other responsibilities. I also pay all the invoices, so I see. <laughs> Where everything is coming from, you know, so there's no way of, you know, any, not that anybody would try and do anything in Kasha Shalom, but just by having your hands on, you know, different things and different aspects of the business and really owning, you know, like owning it as a business that this is your business, uh, that really helps from a Kasha's perspective as well.
0: I think that's very interesting, really, I do. Uh, and, and a lot of times I speak to Majkicham and They're complaining endlessly about the other things that they have to do. I mean, listen, uh, nobody likes to check vegetables all day. They'd rather do something else. But still, in all, uh, they they, they seem to feel that that it's degrading. It's this and that. I've spoken to Meshkikh and Baruch Hashem who say, I wash the dishes when it's needed, I sweep the floor when it's needed, not because they told me that's my job, but because I want them to know that I'm here and I'm working for them. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I don't like the concept of working mashguyer per se, but when it is symbiotic, like you're talking about, when it's related to your job function and not inter, not, not uh, you know intervening and not uh, blocking your ability to do your job as a mashguyer, I think that's fine. I think that's uh, definitely uh, bring appreciation to the people that you work with. But I really like, Rabbi Musat, what you're saying, because now you really did explain it the way I want. I sort of thought it was that these people see you as a supervisor, not just a kashvist supervisor for the Hashgaka, but actually as their supervisor or on some level of administration, which it gives them a different feeling about you and about kosher. And they can see it. Blending much better than when you're just sitting on the sidelines and they think of you as somebody who was just uh, watching out to make sure they don't make a mistake. They don't. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I I definitely think they uh, appreciate it as well. You know, one of the. uh Another thing that I really try and have you know uh, done over here over the last eight and a half years is really get to know my staff as well. You know, making sure you say good morning uh, to everybody, asking how they're going, just getting to know them a build building relationships, professional relationships, and showing that you uh, care for your staff. And and the other thing I want to mention to you also is besides um, the hourly employees um, that we manage one of the other things I've really tried to incorporate here is with my co-managers, um, you know, w- whether it be my director or the assistant director, the dietitians, is not that they're in charge of kashrus because obviously I'm the one in charge of that, but they have a responsibility and to take ownership and responsibility of kashrus as well. So if they see something, you know, one of, my, one of my co-managers could easily say, hey I was up on sixth floor, and I noticed this, a family member wanting to bring in something, could you go up and talk to them so they feel like they have an ownership It's part of their job. Just like any manager has to make sure that a resident is getting the, the appropriate food they're supposed to eat, that they're getting the right diet, the right food served to them, um, anything our employees do, that I also try and blend in to their responsibilities, to my co managers responsibilities, that kashras is also part of their responsibility, that we're here together as a team, as a management team, um, to making sure that all the kashras standards are kept accordingly.
0: Okay, and per- Rabbi Musat, just a half a second we'll go back. I uh, just want to tell our listening audience that if they'd like to call in, speak to Rabbi Aaron Musat from uh, Chicago, Illinois, Rogers Park, uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, who is our Majkir of the Year? Kaji's Magazine's Mashkir of the Year 2014. You can do that live here on the J Root radio station. And you can call us at 718 683 5858. And we'll put you through with Rabbi Musat. Could ask any question. And some of his, the questions about his facility are very, I'm finding it very fascinating. You can call us again, 718 683 5858, to speak to the Mashkir of the Year. Rabbi Aaron Musat. And now I'm going to continue to ask a few more questions that I think uh, our audience will, uh, will appreciate as well. What attracted you to hashkafa? How did you uh, find yourself in here?
1: Um, well, initially, when I was a Bacha, I needed a few extra dollars, you know, just to uh, get through. Uh, you know, I have a little pocket money to spend. Um, and I was... I was working, I used to work um, uh, in the kitchen in Yeshiva to help out, you know, uh, the, the cook over there, and um, there was a gentleman over there who I guess identified that I might have some uh, good work ethic, and he put me in touch with Rabbi Indich, and um I guess suggested that I might be, he was looking for somebody, you know, for some and some people to train and work with him, uh, Pesach, and for, you know, other possible events. So we got in touch, and I met Rabbi Indich, and uh, that's how I got into it. And ever since then, I've really been working, I guess, in Ashkakha for the last 20 years. And, um, you know, it, it's very rewarding. It's, a, it's It's a very big responsibility. There's a lot of people relying on you and on top of that here specifically um, i really enjoy the fact that i'm working with seniors um, you know it's just very nice it's it's a beautiful thing to you know people who maybe you know in the, you know in the latter part of their years but that we can um, make sure you know these are people who have been some of them have been keeping kosher their whole life and we show them the respect and dignity and ensure that you know they're eating kosher food for you know I
0: I appreciate that. I, if somebody were thinking of going into Kachvis, I know it's a tough job, and if, and if he or he was thinking of giving it up, what would you tell him? Well, I mean, obviously you're turned on to it, so let, let let's hear a few words uh, for the uh, uh, for the person who's thinking about Kachvis as a profession, or the person who has been doing it and. Thinking, giving it up. You have any words of inspiration? Yeah, you know, um, sometimes
1: you know the role of mashkiach can be seen. You know, it's not really a very glitzy profession or a, a glamorous role, but I will say that um, I've seen a lot of people uh, definitely use kashrus as a, a platform for careers. You, 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 you know, kashrus is involved in. You know, there's front, there's food service, there's. Um, Restaurants—you you can learn a lot of um, different life skills, business dealing with people. It can really be a platform, even if a person, you know, if a person is not sure what they're going to do with themselves, be beginning in something with kashrus and learning how to work with people. You'll learn a lot about human resources. You know, just there's many different you know life lessons I feel that you can learn from uh, working in kashrus.
0: I just had somebody send a question in, so I'm gonna. Sherrod is it. um, not really involved with our program at all. They were asking about Vaseline, I suppose, for the lips. Uh, with the, uh, whether it's uh, one of these chapsticks or whatever, we advise getting a coaching one or advise getting the plain one, or not the flavored one. But if something's going on the lips, uh, unless you're eating right away, it shouldn't necessarily be a problem. Okay, uh, we'll continue now. Okay, so uh, let me ask you this. Uh, how do you handle beachley israel uh, on your, uh... in your, your plan how do you handle beachley israel
1: sorry i didn't hear what you said
0: beachley israel how do we handle it in the facility I don't, I don't think you can get the name of the facility you're working currently at the lieberman center for health and rehabilitation in skokie yeah. what, what uh, basically how do we handle beachley israel
1: well i turn on all the fires um, you know we have pilots if, uh, if for some reason you know i'm Away, if I get turned off, we still have pilot lights that we can rely on. But, you know, I'm there for, uh, you know, nearly all the cooking, and I make sure that everything in the morning is, everything is turned on, all the steamers are turned on, everything is set in place, the ovens are in place, everything gets turned on, even if we're not using it at that specific time, um, to make sure that everything is special.
0: Okay. Now, let me, I want to go back to something we talked about earlier. You were giving me a little bit about the 5 o'clock in the morning, and I have written down over here that a couple of times when they had a necessity, of the, there was one of these, the power outages, you had to work up sometimes leave as much as 18 hours a day. Okay, but that's, that's extreme. But what do we do? Try to describe for me the day of Rabbi Aaron Musad after 5 o'clock. you got to dive in somewhere, you got to eat, you got to go uh, do, do a lot of things in, in, the, in the facility. Just give me an idea of how the day is set up and things you might do in the course of the day.
1: Yeah, so I come in early. I light the fires. I'm here for, you know, around about an hour. Um, then, then I step out for a little while, you know, do do what uh, any person has to do on a regular day. You know, in the morning, uh, take my kids, to sleep, those kinds of things, and then I return back to work. And I'm here uh, pretty much through dinner service. Um, when I'm at work itself. Um, you know, I, I do any particular on vegetables that has to be done, I do the ordering, all- I'm up on the floors, making sure everything's you know, okay on each of our points of service, um, just dealing with all the general really things that come, you know, with the job.
0: Well what are some of the things that might come up in a day? I mean we're talking about thirty five people with about a thousand meals. Something's mm-hmm. gotta gotta be the mashkir's there for something aside from ordering. What are the oh, kinds of things that you might run into
1: well, um, like you know different challenges that might
0: come up right right
1: um, you know the the main challenges here from a cautious perspective um, is really it's really checking the small things like you know and I mean physically the small things you know the silverware, the small little hotel pants <clears throat> the things that are easier to get uh, mixed up just making sure everybody. Especially the servers on the floor have their right equipment and things have been, you know, cleared off the floors appropriately. Um, talking with families is is pretty common. Um, you know, a lot of, not a lot, but a large percentage of our rehab floor um, are non-Jewish people. And, you know, they don't know a thing about kosher at all. And they, they need to, you know, I have to speak to them, help them understand you know what the parameters of kosher are, and why they can't bring in food, and how can we, how we can accommodate them. Um, and on the other on the other side, I, we also have sometimes we have people who are very you know in the call of this world, They want certain skitter with their meat or their chicken. So um, you know sometimes I have to you know really trying to accommodate them to my best ability. Um, sometimes I have to go out literally to the store and buy buy certain products so to, to make sure that every resident here can eat three nutritious meals a day and feel comfortable with um you know what 's in front of them when they 're eating
0: that 's really beautiful uh, by Musa we got a caller go ahead go ahead you're conscious on the air go ahead yes, thank you for taking my call. I really enjoyed your
2: program Thank you Hello go ahead. I have a question. How do you control, in a large setting, people bringing in and out? And people will sneak and people will hide food. How do you control that?
0: Where do they bring it into the... the, whole, into the, the room, in other
2: words, like, be, be by the Chagin time, it's, you know, we have Hanukkah and, and they have La oh. they have other holidays. You mean the workers? The workers... No, no, I
0: mean- Visitors,
2: I mean, especially if it's a large facility, how do you control that?
1: Okay, so uh, all my staff are very well trained. I have signs all over the dining rooms, no outside food, which you can think, you know, people get, you know, numb to that after a while. However, um, very often, you know, I'll have staff members calling down to me, coming to get me, or, you know, paging me. Rabbi upstairs, somebody trying to bring something in and I'll speak to them, and very rarely, you know, usually it's an education thing people don't know necessarily. I don't have it so much on the long-term care unit as I do as uh, you know, short-term and rehab. If we have specific residents or people here that families want to bring in food um, often to them, then what we do is <coughs> I have um, a package with heavy-duty plates Forks, knives, all disposable. And right. there's been several occasions where certain uh, residents we have to serve only yep. on disposables <clears throat> and disposable trays because we know there could be a cautious problem, you know, with those people because you know the family or uh, the resident wants their own food, which is fine. Right. Um, in long-term care, you know, we have to understand realize that. This is, you know, this is now these people's homes. You know, this is where they're, and and you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner is often the highlight of their day. That's what they're looking forward to the most. So we have to understand and be sensitive to that. So we we know and we see. We you know, and because I have my staff that are going into the room, my staff come and tell me, and I, they really they really are awesome about it. They'll tell me, Rabbi, got a family. They want to bring in their own food. I don't think we should be bringing in any of our dishes or anything into their rooms. And I'll go up with a package, give them what they need, and really, they don't fight it. Um, you know, if you give them the cheap white, you know, styrofoam stuff, which is flimsy and not durable. Yeah, it, things, got it. So
2: in other you know, words, if the family so so chooses to bring their own stuff in, it's not on your Kalen, It's on a disposable kalem. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, just clarifying. I give bra that you should be able to do this for many, many years with Gezint, nasa, and Nachas from yourself and your children.
1: Amen. Thank you very much.
2: Because this is a very, very, very difficult job because I'm in the healthcare field as well, and this is a job that not too many people have a course to. And I tip my hat to you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That was a great, very good question. Uh, and, oh, did we lose you? Okay. Um, I just want to ask you a question. I know this is uh, maybe you don't want it's one of these things that you don't want to have to answer it, But everybody asks these kind of questions, and mm? it's the kind of thing I would ask anybody. anybody. Uh, what do you find is the hardest part of your job? I know we you talked about the rewarding part. But everybody has something that, you know, uh, it's hard, or I don't like to do it, or something. What did you find personally that's a hard part of your job?
1: Um, I I would say the I wouldn't call it hard, but I'd say the most challenging part of my job is, um, and this is not really on a daily basis, um, but you know, in in today's senior living market, you know. they're always looking for program enhancements, and um, there's so many um, there's so many different solutions and different products out there that can really, you know, enhance um, the resident experience. The problem is, from a customer's perspective, it can often be difficult. You know, they have these things, these turbo, you know, like these turbo chef cookers. Uh, you know, that can cook a, you know chicken breast in three minutes and you know a lot of facilities senior living facilities are using those now so they have like you know kitchens you know um, on every floor and you know we've talked about you know doing something like that here but then we would need it would be much more difficult because you would have to you have to literally have somebody there turning on and off the machine all the time so what's challenging is finding solutions Um, that fit into the the kosher framework to make things work. That's probably, you know, the the most challenging thing. And, you know, the good thing is I have a great relationship with the client here. We're always communicating on, you know, different uh, efficiencies and different programs that we're looking at to try and, you know, enhance uh, the resident experience. It's also, you know, difficult to get up so early every morning.
0: Yeah, I, I thought that was for sure. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that one. That was a no-brainer. <laughs> to be there at 5 every day is really something of a challenge. Uh, before we go on, I'm going to take a minute off and speak about our sponsor, which is Glockmart, conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. Glockmart has been with us uh, for 30-something years in the magazine and basically since the beginning of the show, about three, three and a half years ago. So uh, when I think of Glotmart, I think of price, service, convenience, and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or for a full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. They have weekly specials that uh, are usually about 50 items on, on sale at any given time. And For example, right now, you could get... Uh, starting, not, not now, sorry. Starting uh, on Wednesday, you can get... Uh, Geffen applesauce at two ninety nine for forty eight ounces. Mondo drink six pack at 99, 99 cents. Bacol thin rice cakes ninety nine. And That is something that I live on. I love those uh, the rice cakes and the uh, corn cakes. Then uh, you have uh, here for another one example is Oberlander's family pack danishes. Of course, that's a little bit different item. <laughs> at the, the eight pack, eight pack at two dollars and ninety nine cents. Mendelssohn's Pizza, $6.99 for eight slices. That's a nice saving there. And uh, Unger's Pie Shells at $2.89. Plenty of items you're going to find. And it'll like, give you in the meat something interesting. Shoulder, small, kalachal, seven ninety nine a pound. Um, you like uh, family pack rib steaks at twelve ninety nine a pound. And at Gladmart, you know that the quality of the meat is A one the coach's certification from both the Star K and the Badakachas of Lapush. With Bates Safe Meats and with Expert Nikor at Glattmart, you're getting quality Cotches. And You can save plenty of time if you want to use their uh, Valet parking service. Just pull in from East 12th Street entrance and they will have the car ready for you when you want to load it up with all the wonderful items you purchased in the store. And the Glattmart is at 1205 Avenue M, meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove and Glattmart, Tell them you heard about Glotbot on Kashrus on the Air over J-Root Radio. And now we're going to get back to our special guest today who is Rabbi Aaron Musat with the Mashkiach of the Year. We chose his Mashkirch of the Year for 2014. We, he was just uh, crowned, whatever it is, at the uh, Kosher Fest a uh, week ago or week, two weeks ago. And uh, now we fortunately have him here on, uh, live on our uh, on J-Root Radio over Kashrus on the Air. And if you want to call in with a question, or Rabbi Musad, you can. we're not going to take general questions, but if you want something specific that would be something he ties into, as we have before, you can call us at the studio, 718-683-5858, or you can text us at 347-927-8398. if they get it, but text, let me know, because we can't have it over here. So at 347 927 839 you can set it up. It's not set up, okay? Now, going back to uh, our guest, Rabbi Musat, uh, one of the uh, things that was uh, interesting to me, and you mentioned it already, I don't want to go too far off here, but, you know, uh, uh, workers, even these 35 people, they've been there forever. Doesn't it happen that sometimes people, or maybe you don't don't have it because you've been able to work the system well? Or maybe when you first came, you had it don't some people try to cut corners don't they sort of uh, i'm not saying they're going to intentionally you know try to make it all straight. they don't have there's no gain for them but in terms of cutting corners aren't there isn't there a nature of a human being who likes to cut some corners? Do you run into that at all
1: yeah i mean a little bit i think that um, i think as long, see as, one of the other things I really try and focus on, focusing on, is having enough of everything. Whether it's from uh, you know, your your tableware, your, your silverware, your plates, your forks, your knives—simple things like that. You know, if you're running short on items or equipment, that's when I found you know to be the most problem. When I first started here, um, you know, there was there was a possible lack of spoodles or serving utensils and things like that. And, the, you know, I, that was right when I started, and you, you had to watch carefully that, you know, a piece of tape wouldn't slip off, you know, by accident, so to speak. But once I realized, and this was really very early on, that as long as you have what everybody needs um, and you're putting your staff in the right position to be able to do their job correctly, then more often than not um, you're going to be able to have success. And uh, you know, it's really just providing them the tools with the job that they need to do. And if you do that, um, you're gonna have a much better chance of having success.
0: Rabbi, I I don't know if my listeners grasp it, but what you said is are golden words, and I know it. I know it firsthand from the conscious world that I've been exposed to. I've seen it. I I, I taste it. Uh, what happens often is a a worker can't find the spoon, the ladle, the this or the that. That's when he'll grab something that's not kosher. Or in the <laughs> case of milk and Flasics, he might grab something that's the other, other men and he, he just doesn't want to wait. He hasn't got the time for it and he's got his pressures. And that's where you get into cheating. You're 100% right. That if, if the things are available, there's no motivation at all to cheat. It isn't, it, they don't make any money, more money doing anything wrong. There's no, there. There's absolutely no way he is. The only thing could be is you hire the cook, and he likes things to taste a certain way. But I'm sure the cook you've been been there long enough. You don't have a, you're not gonna have a problem with him after a while if, if you know what he does. But let's go All back. Right. Yeah. What? what do you want go to say? Ahead. You wanted to say something?
1: I was just gonna say that uh, my my cooks and you know cook helpers um, here have you know. Uh, A couple of them have been here for a very long time, and um, you know that as long as I give them the ingredients they need, they're going to be happy. You know, um, again, it's having it's having the tools, and by doing all the ordering, I'm the one that can personally make sure that I'm going to have everything my chefs need to be able to execute their meal the way they want to do it. Um, And I'm always a couple of days ahead on ordering. So if I know I'm going to be short for something or my vendor is going to tell me, you know, I'm out of this or whatever it is, then I always have vendor number two or number three or number four to defer to that I can get it from. So it really is about, you know, giving the people the things they need to be able to do their job. Because like you said, and it really was such a good point, then there really is not a motivation for them to do try and sneak or do the wrong thing. Because you're giving them what they need to do to job. And most people, they're coming to work because they want to earn a living. Wanted to come in, do their job, do it in the right way, not, not get in trouble, so to speak, and go home and uh,
0: be with their family. I thank you. no. I'm just commenting on something that I received from Chicago Affinical Council when they talked about you and that they gave an introduction uh, about some of the work that you do. They mentioned that you, that you implemented a number of programs, you implemented many new programs at the nursing home to help. Heightened the awareness of consciousness there. Can you just give me a little bit of what these programs were or
1: are? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I um, have done quite a bit of training with um, the CNAs and the nursing staff. Um, I think that's you know one of the main things they're referring to there. I've even I've done it for all shifts, even you know because even our midnight shift of. Um, and nurses, they start at 11.30 at night, but they finish at 8 o'clock in the morning, so they're the ones serving breakfast. So I've come in at 1 in the morning and done an in-service at 1 o'clock in the morning just to try and touch everybody um, with some basic kashris knowledge. Um, and I don't think that's something that was um, with all staff uh, prior, prior to me being here. And then on top of that, even from... Uh, just from a culinary perspective, but just to give you know a kiddush Hashem to kashrus and kosher food, um, we I you know along with my chef developed a uh, a puree program here, um, <clears throat> which really enhanced the flavor, the texture of the food, and just some of the responses we got from family members um, was just phenomenal how you know, as to how much their, you know, parents, brothers, or sisters were in the nursing home, um, how much more they enjoyed things like pureed food, and them being seeing it being done. You know, kosher facility was, uh, you know, really a kiddush Hashem for kashrus, because this was something that, this program that we developed was something that wasn't even in, you know non-kosher facilities and is now in and the and the formula and the, in the and the you know, and the basis behind this program is now being even used in non-kosher facilities the product came out so well so another thing that they were referring to as well because there was a product on the market which had a hashgacha on it wasn't a good one and we were having a lot of pressure to you know to try and implement it but we couldn't because the product didn't meet the CRC guidelines. So, rather just throw our hands up in the air and say, you know, we're just going to take food and thicken her and together, and that'll be your puree. Rather, we took the initiative to develop something better, um, which would be a Kiddush Hashem Fakash.
0: Very, very nice. I wanted to go on to something that, uh, it, again, it was in the letter that I got. And I'm interested in seeing a little more from you. Your... Uh, from your point of view. They mentioned that, uh, that you're getting along very well with the staff and, you, and that you have an open door policy. And uh, so what, what is open door policy? How would you describe that?
1: Well, that really means, you know, that all goes back to, you know, relationship building with the staff and making the feel, you know, I don't want feel, the staff to feel, you know, uncomfortable the, the, with me. The, you know, any, any of my team members come anytime, talk to me. You know, whether it's kashrus-related or not kashrus-related, you know, even if it's something to do with their other you know daily job flow and skills and tasks they're supposed to be doing, by being involved in that and communicating with with them on those points, then when it comes to things of kashrus that they may want to bring up or if they accidentally grabbed a, l- a wrong label and used it, they feel comfortable to bring it to me and say, Rabbi, I'm sorry, I made a mistake you know, which happens, you know, once in a while, not very often, but once in a blue moon, somebody will come and say, I'm so sorry, I grabbed the wrong, thing I didn't realize. And, you know, by having that open door communication, they will come and bring forward the problem, and they know I'm not going to write them up for something that they're bringing to my attention. That's that's having the open door, having that communication, and them feeling comfortable that they can approach me and that they won't, you know, have their heads bitten off, so to speak.
0: And I just want to... Point to our listeners if they weren't aware of it. You talk about writing somebody up. Uh, it, it's the way you know it, it works in uh, in most businesses. You know, whether you're a bus driver and you get a good re- a good write up in your on your in your dossier there, or they have a negative write up. But in the, the hospital area, uh, there's like uh, two or three. You get about like three write ups and you're out. And it's a very tough game. So if somebody does break the rules, uh, it may not be their fault, but uh, they're not doing, <laughs> not doing their job. They're partly, partly out and they get called up. It's not, it's not a game. So what you're saying is you can't have, uh, you have to work with people because if they're gonna be afraid of you, then they won't, they won't come to you and they won't tell you. And then, then of course, uh, consciousness is being, uh, being pushed aside. Very, very
1: important. And at the same time, you have to have the, the right balance that you don't want them, you know, to, to go against you and do something on purpose. Um, so it's very, you know, I think it's very important to always, you know, remain even killed and have a, you know, a good demeanor and, and treat everybody with absolute respect dignity, you know, no matter who they are, what their background is. Um, and then I think you, you know, can have more success
0: I, I wanted to go on to something uh, I, I, I just wanted to, look, I just want to take another minute on this, and then I 'll go on to something else. We mentioned earlier, uh and I, it was just before a break I mean I, put, I think somebody came on to, to speak at that point. we were talking about what you do to pick up things that are called Yashin, or Pasis and certain specific things, one sure, etc. I want you to know. I was in the hospital visiting some a patient, uh, Arab Shabbos, and I told him exactly about this, that what you do, and he said to me, they don't do it here, and I'm talking Brooklyn, and I'm talking about a responsible, conscious organization, and I'm talking about a responsible mashkiah, but he wouldn't go the extra nine yards. And what does the man need? He needs Yasha. And not only that, but he's not even asking him to go out and buy something for me. Just tell me. research, help me find out if these products are Yasha. And they don't care. So it's it. So it, it may not be so rare. I'm not saying what you do is rare. Maybe it is rare. But it's no question that not everybody's doing it. Mousad is actually taking the time to actually go into a store and purchase a product, he, procuring it for the, for the for the facility by procuring a product because this particular patient needs it, and his life, it, he expects it, and it, it, it increases his quality of life, and it makes he doesn't have to just limit himself to something else, or the family doesn't have to fool him and serve him something. I I think that this is. a for that alone, you deserve an award. I'm telling you, I'm, maybe other people do it. I don't want to take it away from anybody else in the field, but it isn't something that everybody would do. Maybe you don't have that many calls on it, but this, but in the Brooklyn, not to be able to help the man figure out if it's if it's Yasha, his wife has to do the research. The mashgiach doesn't care. That's not the way it should be. So I'm telling you, may not be rare, or maybe it's a Chicago versus Brooklyn. I don't know, but it's certainly. What you're doing is something that it is prolonging the life of the people that you work with i'm telling
1: you i have to tell you the 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 families you know when you work with the families and the residents i can't even tell you the level of appreciation they have you know when you do that when i have specific um residents who need whether it's all this or certain chit or whatever or Yashan, i mean chicago is a big Yashan, you know community uh you know people who are not on yashon um when I sit down with the families, you know, I'll take up my weekly menu, you know, what we're going to have on the menu, and I'll circle, you know, their selections ahead of time, you know, for a week ahead of time, so that they know, you know, what they can eat off the menu um, for what they need. And then if it's not something that we have, like I said, available in-house, I'll go out one time shopping, pick up, you know, a bunch of chaldis visceral yogurts or, you know, whatever it is. Bring it up. We have little refrigerators in some of the rooms um, that are available for you know circumstances like that. Because um, you know it's a lot easier for me to bring up seven halvishrail yogurts for a resident for a week and put it in a refrigerator in their room rather than have that separated in a huge refrigerator in the kitchen and have to have a staff member, staff member to remember to grab particular yogurt. So we work with them, and I've received several letters, you know, after people have left, you know, a week or two later just thanking me for doing that, and it, you know, it brings a great sense of satisfaction that you knew that you could help that person you know, have a comfortable and warm stay while they were here.
0: That's why you're there. That's why you're doing the job. And, and it's really a kiddush Hashem, and it, it explains what, the, what a good Machkiah and, and a sincere machkiah can actually accomplish. There's another area that we didn't get into, there's only a couple minutes left, but I really want to discuss it. It's not you sent the, the, the it's not the uh the place where you're working in the catering. It's where you're sent out to other facilities that are starting up programs similar to yours. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Mention the names of the cities uh and a little bit of what you did there and what you saw and and and, ha- and how you think you were helpful to these places in setting up these new programs?
1: Sure. Um, you know because I also work for a food service company. Um, Morrison Senior Dining. They manage, um, you know, um, senior living facilities and hospitals um, in many cities across the U.S. So, for example, there's a community in uh, in Rockville, uh, Maryland, close to uh, Washington D.C. That uh, about a year and a half ago, um, we had an opportunity to go in to survey that account. And what that means is, we come in, we look at their food program and everything associated with. Well, I was brought in since this was an 1,100-bed kosher facility. It's got five buildings on one campus. So we go in with a team. So my area was, I was going in there as the kosher expert um, so that I could explain to the team, you know, the 18 or 20 other people that were there to look at this facility, you know, what does kosher mean, you know, and how it impacts everything from breakfast, lunch, and dinner to food costs to, you know, um, proposing... Enhancements, how you know how that will be affected from a cautious
0: perspective. So let me let me understand what happened. The the company you work with mm-hmm. uh, was going to take over that facility and and do staffing. At that at that point,
1: we were um, we were surveying the property, um, and then we were going to put a bid to take over the food service. To you know uh-huh. manage the food service there. Manage the food service. Then we won the contract. Um, after, you know, a, a, a sales presentation, which I was also a part of, then I was there for the opening itself. And here you're in not all new dietary stuff, uh, you know, like at my facility, there's a lot of hourly dietary stuff, but new chefs, new diet, dining room managers, um, new dietitians, and all of that. So I gave them all that stuff, a, uh, a pretty lengthy training on Kashros and how it, would affect each of their specific roles um, in the dietary department. You know, a dietitian is going to be a little different to a chef. So tr- because I have that experience here, I trained them, and I remained, and I was at the uh, for the opening of the account for the first couple of weeks, and I worked very closely with the VAD of Washington there. They have their own mashkich there. They're in charge of the kashras there, but I was, you know, like the go-between to help communicate the, tr- the training, and it was a really... Wonderful experience working with the VAD out there. And then I just actually went out there recently uh, a couple of weeks ago to do like a quarterly review and check in with the VAD, how everybody's adapting, are there any points of focus that, you know, they might feel... It uh, would be good for me to reinforce with, you know, you know the management team there. So it was, it's really been a fantastic experience, and I've done that in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, as well, and supported them
0: out there, too. It, it sounds fantastic. Let, let me ask you quickly a couple of questions that came to my mind. One is, um, you know, they're doing 1,100 beds, and you have 230. Now, uh-huh. you're doing 1,000 meals a day, but still in all, it, the spread, it, seems, it sounds like uh, it's a bigger operation
1: one out in maryland yeah. yeah sure yeah
0: that's huge and do and, uh, they do they have how many mashkichem do they have
1: ed i think there's two two mashkichem there all the time and they move between the buildings might have been there a times at times out of three arishabas when there's a lot more the to be done and things like that the day my are roving around the places between the kitchen constantly, it's really a fantastic operation. And, and,
0: and did you feel? I mean, so how did you see in your own experience there how much different that was than yours? I mean, in which areas did you see the uh, the effect or the needs? I'm just interested in that.
1: Well, the mashikim they have to do a lot more walking. I can tell you that because it's a huge campus. Okay. Um, but from a perspective, I mean, really the basics were the same. It was a very similar setup. The thing they have over there, and which is a little more challenging, is the dif- differentiating between um, skilled nursing and independent living um, and subsidized living. You know, there are different challenges um, with um, Shabbos and you know certain coolers you can rely on for uh, people, you know, chayelim and things like that. So over there, they have a whole plethora, you know, of of. Uh, uh, you know scopes of service over there that they have to deal with so it's you know it's more for them it's more challenging you know what they can allow in one building versus another building I mean the foundations are the same it's ninety-eight percent the same but right. you know certain things with cholim you have to be able to you know work with and new admissions and somebody sick and you need to have a puree made up and things like you know it's just to it's it be a little more challenging
0: I hear I want to thank you very much Rabbi Musa for giving us the time it was really very interesting I learned a lot, <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm going to go into the field. I'm happy with what I do, and uh, but but I definitely ap- appreciate the kind of fine work that you're doing. It's definitely a kid at Hashem. We're very happy that you're the Mashgiach of the year, and uh, we're looking. We hope that you'll have much success in, in, over there in your facility where you work and improving cash over the over the country.
1: Thank you very much for uh, having me on. And- Again, thank you very much for selecting me for this uh, award. It really was a great honor, and I appreciate you having me
0: on. Thank you, and I wish all of our listeners you have a wonderful week. For, uh, for Koshmas on the air, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Koshmas Magazine. If you need to reach us during the week at the office of Koshmas Magazine, whether for subscription or for Koshmas questions, call 718-336-8544. Thank you.